Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Let me add my welcome to you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us online. My name is Howard. It's my privilege to lead a super church here at Westminster Chapel online. We are living, of course, in some really challenging times. And there are times in which we've been given all kinds of advice, especially about how to stay safe from the coronavirus. And most of that has been really good. And there's been some really kind of also very bad stuff out there. The worst I've heard is people trying to make a kind of financial gain in this time through selling silver, liquid silver, which they say if we drink that, it will kill the coronavirus, sure, and maybe kill us as well in the process. I wonder, as we start this message, what are some of the worst or silly, bad advice that you have received? Uh, For my wife and I, it was a time when uh, uh, she was given a piece of advice to help conceive children. She was told, put some books at the end of your bed to lift your bed up, because that'll give you more chance of conceiving. It's like, oh, awkward. Um, Or someone once said to me, I hope it was in jest, I think it was, um, that I should brand myself as the naked pastor. And then I would get a following. I'm like, oh, (laughs) do I really want a following? Do I really want a following for that? Just being mocked and humiliated online? That is definitely not playing to my strengths. And playing to our strengths, do you like the segue there? (laughs) Playing to our strengths is the important, essential piece of advice I would believe God would have for us today. Jesus, God, has designed his church for difficult times like this. We're not an immovable, rigid physical structure, building. No, we are a living organism, the church. At Westminster Chapel, we're more than 50 different nationalities, people of every age and every income background, all coming together. We are diverse living stones coming together around one central stone who gives us strength and life. His name, of course, is Jesus Christ. And I believe this unity in diversity makes us possibly the most powerful entity in existence in the human level of society. And God is right now seeking for us to help us leverage the full strength of this power by getting us all to play to our strengths. We all, especially right now, I think, want to play our part, want to know what we're here for, want to do our bit, want to live lives that are significant and make a difference. Well, how do we do that? Well, I've got three questions I want us to get to and look at uh, today uh, with you. I'm going to go straight into the context first, but I'd like you to have these questions in mind as we move forward. The first of those questions is, what has God called you to do? What is God calling you to do now and with the rest of your life. The second question is, where is God challenging you to grow? And the third question is, who is inspiring you to get there? First, some context. The book of Acts was written by Luke in the first century. He was a medical doctor and investigative historian. And we join in chapter six, where the church is at a 
moment of crisis, a significant crisis. Sure, it was one that was very different from our own, um, but it was a crisis nonetheless, and one I think we have a lot to learn from. In verse 7 of chapter 6, we get the first of six summary statements about the church's really quite explosive growth that run throughout the, the book of Acts, growing from just a few thousand people to a massive number within a number of centuries. But here we just get the, the early church's story of breakthrough growth. The church's response here to a grave crisis resulted in great growth. And that is what I'm believing for, for Westminster Chapel right now. Amen. And this is not a time for the church to retreat, but to advance, to, to move forward for the glory of God. And the way I believe that we do that, we find advance, is to mobilise and support everybody to play their part, to play to their strengths. I love the part of this verse as well in verse 7 where it says, even a large number of the priests believed, they came to faith. That's pretty amazing. The priests would have been surely the most resistant, those most steeped in the Jewish religious system, the most opposed to Jesus, yet even they repented and trusted in him only for their salvation. Wow, these are moments in scripture where we should be like, whoa, hallelujah, that's amazing. Think of the priests of secularism and atheism today coming to faith in Jesus. This is a great encouragement to us about the power of the word of God, that no group is beyond its reach. The gospel, the good news about Jesus is the power of God for everyone, for everyone to come to faith and salvation. I tell you, no one is beyond God's reach. This is true in my own family. A case in point would be my dad. Growing up as a teenager, he banned all talk of God in the home. So when I crossed the line of faith in the year 2000 and became a Christian, things got a little bit tense between us. And it was only a few weeks after that moment of conversion that um, my dad and I, we were in a restaurant together and we were talking and he said, you know, son, it's all right for you, this Christianity thing, but it's not good for me. In that moment, I was emboldened by God, given wisdom of what to say. And I just said to him, but dad, if it's not good for, for you, then how could it be good for me? Surely you'd want to find out if it's good or not and find out a little bit more about it. And about two years later, after much prayer and support from many others, my father, actually my whole family attended an Alpha course to explore the Christian faith, the meaning of life, the big questions of life at Holy Trinity Brompton. And through that course, they all came to faith. My dad is reported to have cried tears of repentance and joy of finding forgiveness for his sins. He gave his life to Christ. And that burden, that heavy burden of guilt was lifted from him. And people just saw a remarkable transformation. Even his work colleagues, those who are managing him, reported a major change in his life. I want to encourage you, no one is beyond God's reach. It's true in that way and it's true in another way that no one is excluded, if you like, from God's 
uh, ability to save them um, because salvation is not dependent on a person's ability, their cleverness, their intellect, none of that. It's not about that you need to wear certain clothes, you need to eat certain foods. It's not you climbing up a ladder to try and reach God because we can't, we are not good enough for that. Uh, we're corrupted, our wrongdoing, all of that sort of, it's just we could never climb that ladder and so God comes all the way down in Jesus to live a perfect righteous life, to die in our place on a cross, to be brought back to life, to show that he has conquered sin and death. He does it all for us and all we have to do is be humble enough to admit our sin, our need, our desperate need of him to save us. If we trust him only for our salvation, he will give us everything that we truly need. And if you're watching right now, then you could do that. You could do that in this very moment and you could know joy unspeakable and full of glory of coming into for the first time or coming back to being in fellowship, in right relationship with the God who made you and who loves you. Right now in some of the comments, there'll be a link of how you could do that. There'll be a kind of follow-up room to pray with others from our church team after the service as well. I believe God right now is working across the world through this coronavirus crisis. He is knocking on the doors of thousands and thousands of people's hearts. And our job, my job as a church leader, our job as followers of Jesus is to help people open the door and welcome him in. And then we need to be there to encourage and support and love them as when they do and on the journey of coming to faith in Christ. God right now is preparing churches and he's preparing Westminster Chapel for significant breakthrough. That's the title of this message today, this vision message. It's about breakthrough, joining and partnering with God to get ourselves ready for rapid and explosive growth in every sense of the word growth. And God has been speaking this over Westminster Chapel for many, many years prophetically predicting the days would come when this church would be filled to overflowing with all kinds of people, making Jesus impossible to ignore. Here's some of the, the words, the prophecies that we've received over the church. We've been told that we're meant to go back to how the church was originally founded. This was a message that was preached by someone who came on the day that I was voted in to take on leadership of the church. Uh, he knew nothing about that vote that was happening that day amongst the church family after his message. But he said in his preach that he felt we were called to go back to the ministry of Reverend Samuel Martin, who founded the church with 20 people who cared for the poor and over 20 years grew to a church of over a thousand. It grew so big they had to knock down the original building to make room for the people who were coming in. And they had a phenomenal ministry and heart for the poor. And there were significant people struggling all around them. Charles Dickens called the area not far from, from the chapel, just a short minute's walk away of Old Pie Street and other St. Matthew's um, churchyard area all over there. He called it the Devil's Acre because of the crime, the squalor, the poverty, the disease. It was a horrible place. We think it's where the word slum was first coined, coined about this area. And the church at Westminster Chapel went into reach and to love and to care for people in that area. Many came to faith and had their lives transformed for the better by Jesus. We've also been called to build bridges into 
the locality across London, like the bridges of London, into different reach, all kinds of different people groups, Westminster chapels to be a kind of centre for, for mission and outreach to connect with different groups. We've been stirred that we will see at Westminster Chapel the miracle that happens in nature of when a deer gives birth to its young, that they're able to stand very quickly, very strong. And that we will see many, 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 many new births, people coming to faith and growing to be phenomenally strong disciples of Jesus. We've had several words recently as well, and over a long period of time, about Westminster Chapel being a centre and place of revival. That God is moving in power at this time by his spirit to pour out his presence on the church. Only a few weeks before the coronavirus hit the United Kingdom, I was given a word from someone and they weren't quite sure that their English wasn't uh, sort of spot on. So they put the words in their own language on their phone for Google to translate. And it said this revival in your church this year. Do you believe that? This person said to me, <laughs> I said, <laughs> I want to believe, but forgive my unbelief in that moment. But I want, I just believe that God is challenging us to have faith at this time, to see what he wants to do amongst us for his glory. So how do we get ready? Well, I believe Acts chapter six helps us to answer that. The apostles, the main leaders of the church needed to focus on doing what they were called to do to play to their God-given strengths and abilities, which was to preach and to pray. See, the church was in a season of change. Something was changing and they needed to adapt to not carry on some old ways, but to move into some new ways of operating to see growth and breakthrough come. And it's important to do that. If we don't keep up with the changes, sometimes we're out of step, we're like out of fashion. And this wasn't that kind of change. It's like some small thing. You just keep up with the fashion. You know, today is a bit like me. It took me years to keep up with the fashion to wear skinny jeans. You know, I thought they were too effeminate for men to wear. Now I wear them all the time. I actually even like them. But I understand that they're becoming more and more out of fashion. I'm totally behind. At least it means that we're able, going to be able to wear more comfortable clothes soon. But that's like... That's like one kind of small but insignificant way of not adapting to change. Here it was far more significant. If the church didn't adapt to change, the apostles were going to burn out. And that would mean like you're trying to pour new wine into old rigid structures that are immovable, new wine into old wineskins, you know, and these apostles like those wineskins are going to just explode and you've got splattered yucky apostle all over the place. Now they needed to adapt and, and understand the changing seasons that they were in, just as we need to understand that the church is in a season of change, season of change in going online, season of change in responding to this global impact of the coronavirus. So it's in times of change like this as well that, the, that people sometimes get overlooked, I think unintentionally, and we need to be careful and watch out for that. That's what happened in this church, this early church. The Jews who are more the Greek cultured Jews, um, that kind of often sometimes called the Hellenist Jews, who'd moved into the area, diaspora Jews who'd come back into Jerusalem, often it seems to retire, 
Um, they were upset that their widows were being overlooked, not cared for. There was an unfairness. And the, the Hebrew, the kind of, if you like, the kind of superior Jews who, who thought they were superior, um, they were the ones who get their women, widows are getting more food. And this was a big thing. One third of women in Rome, it was said, were widows. And widows were very vulnerable because there was no welfare state to look after them. You needed the church more than ever to provide and they weren't doing that there was a sort of um cultural war almost division going on in the church these hebraic jews who thought they were kind of pure they hadn't kind of been assimilated in any way by greek culture looking down on others and not treating each other fairly so how do the apostles respond do they get defensive they're also hebrew jews uh, hebraic jews and and it's their responsibility do they get defensive no they don't do that they're great great leaders they don't come up with some authoritarian, top-down, heavy solution. They come up with a collaborative solution. They say, here's the plan, here's some criteria, go choose some people and we'll validate them and we'll, we'll find a way through this together. And that's what happens. Seven Hellenistic, Greek, cultured Jews are appointed, which is great because that balances out the 12 Hebraic Jews. And it results in everybody being able to play to their strengths, those who are appointed, but also those who they're serving, and the church grows rapidly. Now, please don't misunderstand here to think that there's sort of like, there's the jobs for the top people, the elites, and these are for the lesser jobs. No way. All forms of service are equally important to God. This is just about people doing what they are meant to do, what they're called and gifted to do. Nothing's more important than, than others. And even the very language uh, in the original Greek in this passage shows that. So the word for ministry of the word, for example, that word ministry is the same word that's used for service or ministry at the, at the table. And the table was a prominent place and it's a significant place. We've lost our sense of the centrality and importance of, of the table in our society today, but then it was important. These people who we think are sort of the prototype for deacons, although they're not called that, their behaviour, their actions, their serving is called, is called deaconing, if you like, um, but not the office as yet. It's maybe just the warm up to that. Um, they first and foremost were meant to work for the unity of the church, to pull it together. There was a moment of division. Now, now the apostles needed people to help get alongside them, people who had their heart, who had God's heart, who could say, let's put together the mission, our corporate togetherness above our own individual issues and needs. Let's work together at this time. And their role is so important. Caring for the poor is a critically important role in the church. And back then it would have involved a significant amount of control and management of the church's finances uh, as well. This was a big role, but it wasn't a limiting role. It wasn't restrictive. Just look at what two of these uh, appointments, uh, Stephen and Philip, well, look at what they went on to do. They performed signs and wonders. Uh, they preach amazing sermons to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. They go and evangelize the whole of Samaria. Wow, it's a significant role. Right now at Westminster Chapel, if we are to break through, we need more and more people, men and women, to break out into this form of service. We need to appoint deacons and deaconesses and that is exactly what I hope that we will do by the end of this year and I believe in doing that we will see great growth, great expansion. 
I am so thankful that right now, to be honest with you, there are people in our church that we could appoint straight away like that. But I think God wants more, more and more to come through. And he's stirring us as leaders to try and help see that, to, to help mobilize people, to be able to break out, to help the church to break through at this time. So back to those three questions again that we all need to think about and wrestle through, myself especially, to make sure we are in the sweet spot of God's will. And the first of those questions is, what is God calling you to do? To break through, we need to help each other break out. My predecessor at Westminster Chapel, Greg Haslam, brilliant man, had five really good questions to ask yourself and to discuss these with others to help us discern that. What is God calling you to do now and in the future? Well, he would say, ask yourself, what do you feel prompted to do? What has God been saying and stirring in the scriptures and prophetically? What's the inner urge that you have to do it exactly? And then he would ask, so what do you feel prompted to do? And then he'd say, uh, what do you find pleasure in doing? What do you find pleasure in doing? I think of Eric Liddell um, in the film, The Chariots of Fire, when he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. That's a great, great line. What do you feel God's pleasure in doing? So what are you prompted to do? Where do you sense God's pleasure? And where do you feel and enjoy his power, his enabling, his strengthening? And what areas of that is in your life? The fourth question is, where do people praise you? Um, where do they recognise an anointing, a gifting? And then finally, question number five is, where do you feel God's promotion? Where does he open doors of opportunity for you to serve or do these things, even in a small way? And as you're thinking through these things, I'd love you to have uh, five more points, sorry, another five points uh, to bear in mind. Uh, the, first, uh, the first of those points uh, would be um, that, that whatever you're called to do should really fit within the church's vision and mission. It's not just to go off and do your own thing. The seven didn't do that. They worked under the authority of leaders together with the church. They found their, their fit that way. What would that be for you? Secondly, um, we would say uh, whatever you do, you feel called to do, should be evaluated really by other people. So I might think I sing great in the shower and therefore I should go on and lead worship. Thankfully, there are people I know in the church who would say, Howard, your singing stinks. And they know me well enough to be able to say that. And, and it would save me from great embarrassment. It's really important that you evaluate this with others. Uh, the third thing is that don't expect to do your dream job on day one. And that's not what happened necessarily, at least for Philip and Stephen. Maybe they felt called to evangelism and great mission and outreach, but they were happy serving in this way. Not that that was a bad way, but it just wasn't quite what they were fully called to do yet, but it was a stepping stone towards that. I heard a great story recently by someone who's coming into membership in our church. She's got a big dream one day to be a voice in the media, to have her own show, her own conference that would support her own magazine, which she's already started. This is a good dream that we as a church, we wanna get behind people's dreams. That's why I love asking people the question, what dream has God put on your heart? What do you feel stirred about doing? So when she moved to London, she got a job at a TV company making films, but the job that she had wasn't her ideal or dream job in any way. Her, her job started out as just stuffing envelopes and she found peace with God about that. But over time, her faithfulness, her talent, 
her God-given dream, I think, got recognised by those in authority above her and they promoted her. And I think they will continue to do that as well. This is often how God's works. We start by being faithful in this area and he gives us more and more as we take steps towards the dream that he has for us. The fourth thing I would just say is that I am not a mind reader. Neither are the other elders or leaders in the church. I wish we were, but that means we need your help to tell us what God has put on your heart. Uh, and I hope we'll find ways to, to do that, either surveys, online forms, things you could fill in, just more conversations to talk about it so that we could hear what is God calling you to do? How could it fit with the, the mission vision, uh, the call on Westminster Chapel? So please talk to us about it. Talk to your life group leaders about it. And try and find the strength in God to give us space to speak into it. Say, oh, maybe it's that, there's that. Could we offer a little bit of guidance about it? Finally, number five is if in doubt, just step out. Find some sort of less risky way, like don't bet the house, but just in some smaller way, step out in doing this thing. Maybe do it in a life group, do it in a smaller setting um, together and get feedback, get, get others to evaluate it. What have you got to lose? God often guides a sailing ship, not one that is stuck in harbour. The worst thing that can happen is it all goes disastrously wrong and you find out that that's maybe not what you're called to do. But that's helping you find out what your strengths really are. And you've got them. So that's the first question. What are you called to do? The second main question is where is God challenging you to grow? There were three qualities that the apostles prioritised. The first of those was they were to choose from among them. It's a sense of reputation amongst the community which is all about character and this fits well with the 1 Timothy chapter 3 qualifications for deacons that they're worthy of respect they're sincere that they're not given to dishonest gain and things like that and I suppose the challenge for us here is are we more focused on growing in godliness or giftedness is it more for us about the charisma or about character how are we seeking to cultivate Christ-like character because it's character that I think the Bible puts an emphasis on. Yes, we need both, but it's character that is paramount, preeminent in all of these qualifications. So how are you growing in godliness? What are, which are the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Are you focusing on right now? Do you need to grow in? So the first thing is uh, the first characteristic that we need to seek to grow in is our characters themselves. The second thing is full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Now, the moment that a person crosses the line of faith and follows Jesus, in one sense they're full of the Holy Spirit, but I tell you there is more. There's more of the real powerful experience of God to be had, more sealing and assurance and a deepening. This is why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are thirsty and drink. And it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we might be full of the Spirit of God, full of his power, full of his gifts, full of his anointing, enabling sense of sonship, identity in Christ, that we will be able to powerfully overflow with this to others. Jesus says that God wants to pour out his spirit. He puts it like this in his teaching on prayer. He compares God to even the best earthly father and he says God supersedes, goes way, way beyond 
even the best earthly father. And he says, how much more will your father in heaven give what the Holy Spirit to those who do what? Who ask him, who ask him. We are leaky vessels. So when was the last time you really got serious about asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to give you a greater anointing and power and you waited and you saw it and you persisted in prayer that you kept asking to be renewed to be filled again and afresh with power from on high to do the things that we see Philip and Stephen doing the third characteristic so let me just run back first character the second full of the Holy Spirit the third is about wisdom it's wisdom. Wisdom today is a little bit misunderstood. It's not knowledge. You, know, you can grow a lot and develop a lot of knowledge in this information kind of overload world that we live in, but you might not be wise. See, knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing if and when you should, you should use it. How do we grow in wisdom? Well, we have to be humble enough to admit our need of it to ask God for it, to seek to find it through prayer, to search the scriptures for wisdom, for they make wise the simple, and to meditate as well um, on God's creation. God is speaking wisdom through his creation all the time. You see that Proverbs chapter 8, just by looking at ants, you can discover great wisdom. So which of these three areas is God challenging you in the season ahead to focus on? The third question is, who is inspiring you to get there? I think we need role models. You can find many role models, great role models on the pages of scripture. Obviously there's Jesus, but also for me, there's been people like David and Joseph. Um, but you could do that throughout church history as well. Read some great biographies. Oladur Equiano, William Wilberforce, Josephine Butler, Elizabeth Elliot. Phenomenal encouragement can be found there. But today I want to give you the tale of two Stephens. Stephen Sloan, firstly, our very own elder here today at Westminster Chapel. He has served faithfully in our church for more than 40 years and he served in all sorts of ways. He served on the building committee. He served leading the children's work. Right now he is leading our pastoral care team and he's delivering food to those in need it he's calling he's just been an incredible support with his super amazing wife Gillian they're a great team I think theirs is an example of a life well lived lives well lived for the glory of God and in an ongoing way you know I, I wish they were more like them I wish I was more like them they're great they're good role models for us to look up to that's the first Stephen. The second Stephen is the first martyr in the early church. If you read through Acts chapter 6 verse 8, you'll encounter this extraordinary man of God and great faith. You'll see his phenomenal understanding of the scriptures and this great speech that he gives. And he just knows his Bible really well. He knows God's great salvation plan. He understands his place, his part in it. He's courageous speaking truth to those in authority. And he's so amazing in his willingness to die for what he believes in and the way that he dies an extraordinary christ-like death they are stoning him to death he's suffering and he's in pain and what does he pray he prays lord 
do not hold this sin against them. His hero is Jesus Christ. And you see it come through so clearly here as his death follows in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus brutally crucified on the cross. He willingly allows himself to go there to that place, nails through hands and feet in absolute agony, suffering for our sin. And we all have put him there because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what does Jesus say? He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Wow. Stephen, in this time of great difficulty, and challenge he's looking up to heaven he's seeing a vision of Jesus you can read about it in Acts chapter 7 verse 56 he sees the risen the righteous the redeeming Jesus he sees the risen Jesus who's defeated death who's alive he sees the righteous Jesus the one who accredits to us by faith and to Stephen, to all believers his righteousness we're not in debt anymore we're way in credit it's phenomenal and Jesus, the righteous one, stands in our defense. He speaks to the Father. You can't punish them again. I died for them. You must do what is just, what is righteous. And he sees Jesus, the redeeming one, the one who's going to make all things new. Jesus is going to take the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the world, the crucifixion, and make it the greatest thing that could ever be imagined in our, in our world. Salvation for millions. Stephen's hero is Jesus. He's not searching for the hero inside himself. If I do that, I just find a, a terrified little boy. Stephen is seeking the one outside himself, the great hero, Jesus Christ. And in seeing Jesus, he savors Jesus and he finds strength to serve Jesus and ultimately to lay down his life for Jesus to give his life in the greatest cause that any human being can, to serve our creator, to serve the glory of God. This is a moment of breakthrough for our church. It's gonna come as we each play our part, as we each follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We've called this dream team as a church. It's one of our style points, our, our values. And we say that when every person plays their part, the church grows. It's a promise from God. So what about you? What is God calling you to do? Where is he challenging you to grow? And who is inspiring you to get there? I pray above all, it's Jesus that you're focusing on, that you fixed your gaze on him and you're not letting anything distract you from that. Let me close by reading to you from Acts chapter 6 and from verse 7. So the word of God spread, this powerful word and the, the number of disciples in Jerusalem, we might say in London, in the United Kingdom, around the world increased rapidly and a large number of priests, those priests of secularism, atheism, the big names of those things who are opposed to God right now, became obedient to the faith. Lord God, we thank you that your word, the gospel, has power to save everyone and anyone who would believe, Lord. And we ask you right now to prepare us to get your church ready 
to help us to know what we're called to do, to help us to grow in the areas you're challenging us about, to help us to find inspiration through you. Thank you, Jesus, that you'll help us to play to our strengths. Thank you, Jesus, that you'll help us to grow in godliness. Thank you that you don't just inspire us by your example. You literally inspire us by taking up residence inside us and giving us power to serve and glorify you. Help us to be people who have good character. Help us to be people full of the Holy Spirit. Fill us up, God, to overflowing. Give us wisdom as well to serve you rightly at this time. Lord, we pray, mobilize your church. Help us to break out that we might break through together for your glory. And as we come to worship, Lord, help us to give thanks that you died for us. You are the risen, righteous, redeeming, great saviour and you deserve all the glory and all the praise forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.